Marcus steps up and buries it. This will be a wonderful goal. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast. We're back for another episode of Chatting AFLW. I swear to God, the competition dished up one of the most chaotic rounds ever, maybe. It just felt like every result was either insane or someone put in an insane performance and it was just, you couldn't look away from it. Every single game this weekend, you could not look away from it. So that means that we have plenty to talk about and we can't wait to crack in but before we do we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people and pay our respects to their elders past and present for today you've got just the two of us me Maurice Lordanik and Sarah Burt so Sarah like I said we've just witnessed one of the craziest rounds of AFLW ever I'll quickly do the results before we get into probably the biggest game the biggest upset of the round but we started things off with Carlton defeating the Western Bulldogs on Friday night we had GWS picking up their first win against West Coast we had Adelaide beating Melbourne which we will deep dive into very shortly St Kilda beat Hawthorne Sydney defeated Port Adelaide Collingwood got up over the lines which was another spicy one we then had Essendon defeating the Cats Gold Coast beating Richmond via point after the siren, which is another one we'll probably touch on a little bit later. And then North Melbourne rounded things out by beating the Dockers. But there's no other place to start. We have to talk about this Adelaide-Melbourne game. We had hyped it up so much because of their records. Was it everything you had expected? Did you think that Adelaide were going to come out on top? What did you see from this game? No, I didn't. And I have been saying all week that not all week all season that I think Melbourne are going to win the premiership they know how to do it they can do it um and so and I think a lot of people feel that way too I don't think I was alone in predicting that it's not exactly a wild prediction and they just they sort of I think to be honest the way that Adelaide won was through Melbourne's mistakes so I think yeah I think Melbourne maybe still are the better team on paper but um, they missed a lot of things they missed a couple of shots Uh, Kate Hoare missed some marks that normally she wouldn't miss normally Kate Hoare would be on the scoreboard she wasn't this week and I don't want to pin it all down to Kate because they have enormous depth and it's not just on her um, they were missing Paxi due to a dog incident, which <laughs> I don't know what your take on that would be. There's been a couple of weird excuses. We can talk about some of the others um, that happened. There was a couple with Brisbane, but that it was odd. I'm not sure what the go with that was, but whenever we've heard that excuse in the men's, it's just because they've been doing it's never a good that, sign uh, when the good. dog yeah. comes <laughs> Um, so I don't know what the deal with that was, but aside from that weird reasoning, they did miss Paxi on field. Um, and yeah, I just think, it, I think a lot of it came down to um, Adelaide capitalising on Melbourne's mistakes and Kate Hoare having an unusually, I mean, it wasn't a quiet game. You can't say it was a quiet game, but 
in Tate Hall world, maybe one of the quieter ones. I think that's sort of all I could really take from it. It seems bizarre, though, that they could have someone kick five goals and still lose. And it makes me happy that that happens in AFLW now because in the first few seasons that would have been unheard of. Um, but Eden Zanka had an absolute belter. So, you know, it, you can't say that Melbourne had an off day because some of those players that are coming through, and maybe that is good, it's that opportunity when players like Paxi and Kate Hoare are omitted or out because of their dog or have, have an off day, it does, we do get to see that depth of players stepping up. I think it's a really good point. There was, especially in that last quarter, I was like, Eden Zanka is going to win this game off her own boot. She is going to put the rest of the team on her back and she is simply going to carry them to the finish line because that's the way she was playing and she was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think it's really interesting, though. Like, we single out Kate Hoare, and I think that's right because also her season so far has just been so good that she's raised the level of expectation on her but we didn't see any scoreboard involvement from Taylor Harris we didn't see any scoreboard involvement from Alyssa Bannon either and all of a sudden when you put all of those together you both like none of the D's kind of contributors were contributing to put it really plainly and simply it seemed to be only Zanka able to find um the goals with any sort of ease and consistency so I think there's a really interesting thing that Adelaide were able to not just nullify or keep quiet a, a whore, but was able to do it to Harris and Bannon as well. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And I do agree that like Melbourne made mistakes, but I think we do have to give the Crows some credit. I reckon they really forced them into the mistakes. They were really strong in their pressure, really strong on the tackle, and it forced them the mistakes. And then obviously you do need to be good enough to capitalise on them. And that's what the Crows did. And I think... Obviously, they're superstars, but having the contributions of people like Ebony Marinoff and Anne Hatchard, along with your Danielle Ponter, along with your Eloise Jones, everyone's kind of chipping in with the goals. Like, it was a real team performance from the Crows, and it really, everyone made sure that that win happened. So, I like your point about Melbourne's mistakes, but I do think we need to give the Crows credit for, like, basically creating those mistakes through pressure but basically unforced errors to use a tennis term um but yeah it was just, also yeah. it was just such an entertaining contest like putting your neutral oh, yeah. hat on you're like this this is the footy I want to watch every weekend like For this sure. is the good stuff I'll absolutely take that I agree I mean the only reason that you see Melbourne make mistakes because they are such a seamless team normally um, is if they're collapsing under pressure. And I wouldn't say they collapse, but I, I do agree with you that, that they obviously had to force that. Something else that is worth mentioning is that neither of these sides have been held scoreless for a quarter yet this season. And both of them, they each held the other scoreless for one quarter in that game, which is, I mean, it makes sense that if it was going to happen to either side, it was from the other. But um, that's that shows just how strong both of them are defensively um, and, and attacking. So, I mean, there's no doubt that we're dealing with two of the strongest sides here um, and their depth is unmatched, really. We, we would assume that we're probably going to see a grand final between 
these sides. Um, so yes, it's, I mean, that's a big call, but I think that that's probably what's going to happen. And I think that's why there was so much interest in this game because um, a lot of the discussions that were happening on Saturday were about who's going to manage to stay on top of the ladder to get that home ground advantage in the final series rather than will they make finals. So um, I think it's a really good reflection on the league as a whole that we're able to focus on things like that rather than, you know, really um, unpredictable score lines or, you know, unacceptable um, performances by players. I think it's really exciting that we can have sort of diverse, dense conversations about, well, who's going to get the home ground advantage and and where are they going to play well if they get to Norwood Oval for the grand final day, all those sort of things. So um, I think that's why there was so much excitement to it. You mentioned it earlier, so I will ask you basically the follow-up. I think we've all been bullish on Melbourne. I think a lot of us tipped Melbourne. How much has this result changed your kind of Premier's prediction, if it's changed it at all? Yeah, I don't – I know I need to give an answer. So I'm going to say it hasn't changed. I'm going to say I still think Melbourne can do it. But the other thing, as we know with AFLW, is it's so reliant on, A, injuries and touch wood that that doesn't affect either of these teams any more than it has, but also on some of those real key players. And when you look at the top performers – on the ground, Eden Zanka for Melbourne. Lily Mithin was quite, I think she had about 17 disposals, um, 16 disposals she had, sorry. Um, not a hugely quiet day, but sort of outside of that, she wasn't as present as we normally would see Lily Mithin be. So for Melbourne, Eden Zanka, and then, as you mentioned, the the top performers, Anne Hatchard, Ebony Marinoff, all of those players for the Crows, I think what we notice is that the Crows are able to be missing almost anyone and still really bring their game face and it doesn't throw them off. They Their depth is just so unmatched and I would have said that about Melbourne before this game, we didn't do a pod last week, so um, we didn't talk about it, but I would have said that. And I'm almost glad we didn't because <laughs> I can't look dumb with my predictions. But um, I I think Melbourne are more affected by omissions like Paxi, you know, like Kate Hoare having a slower day, Lily Mithin having a slower day. I think they are a little bit more thrown by that. It's all I know for certain is that we, if we get a game like that again in the finals and hopefully in the grand final, it's going to be one hell of a watch. Um, do you see Adelaide moving now from first on the ladder? Because I can't see them moving from, like, I feel like they've kind of overcome the hurdle they needed to and it's now theirs basically. <laughs> So their next few games, they've got the Western Bulldogs. Sorry, doggies, but I think the Crows are okay. They've got the Lions, which will be an interesting contest. But again, um, what we saw this weekend, I know we're going to dissect it. I think the Crows are all over them. And um, and then they've got West Coast Eagles again. Sorry, Weagles. Um, so I... 
I think that, um, yeah, I think that's that's them set. Um, I think also what we saw with Melbourne is that that might stray their confidence. You know, we know they're on a winning streak. They hadn't lost. They've come off the back of a grand final. And now they know that they can lose. And um, it might it might put that fire in the belly for them and really get mixed in here, um, putting a rocket up them this week. Or it might um, it might throw them a bit and um, and we might see what will happen. So, Yeah, I think with the Crows, there's no game in there that feels like an obvious loss. Like I think the Brisbane game should be good. The game against North should be good, but neither of them feel like obvious losses. So, yeah, I reckon it's the Crows minor premiership almost wrapped up. I reckon the Ds also will just like, they're too good a side to be, totally rattled by one loss but I think it is probably good for them to get it out of the way now rather than in finals which is a a cliche but sometimes cliches are yeah no it's good (laughs) and I and I know that I've mentioned this a few times already today um but it I think again it's a really good sign for the league in general that it's it almost feels when you look at those two teams provided that they do make it to the grand final, which mm-hmm. I think, again, we probably are all predicting at the moment. It would be, it could be something like what we've experienced with the men's grand final a couple of weeks ago yeah. is that it's two great teams that both deserve to be there and on the day either could win. And I think that we really would have that if these two teams were in the grand final. So, um, I think, again, that's a really good sign for the league that that sort of talent distribution is really strong. A hundred percent. And I'm glad you mentioned the men's grand final. Ready for this segue. So it was Collingwood in Brisbane. The next game we need to talk about is Collingwood in Brisbane in the women's because upset, and I think it's fair to say it was an upset, the Pies ended up getting over the Lions. I don't think I tipped this. I can't imagine a lot of people would have because Brisbane have been kind of chugging along nicely. How did Collingwood do it? What does this mean for the Lions? What does this mean for the Pies? Because the Pies have gone on a nice little run now. I'm sad that we don't have Imogen Evans with us to just drop a a cheeky go Pies because that's what she does when she's on the pod. But um, how did you see this game and what did it mean for both of these teams? This was a really interesting one. And to be honest, I think that Brisbane should have won it. They they actually seem to have control of the game for most of the game, um, but they were just so inaccurate. They just couldn't do it. Um, and, and, you know, and that's the beauty of the game. That's why we love it because it, it is unpredictable. And if you have an off day in front of the post, well, then, you know, if you don't get goals, then you can be ahead on the stats sheet as much as you like. But it was a very good game. It was one where, um, you know, anything could have happened in the last quarter. But I just, I was almost quite shocked by how inaccurate Brisbane were, to be honest. Um yeah, what were your thoughts on it? The the inaccuracy is a killer and no one at Brisbane is probably um, denying that. They're all probably painfully aware of that. Um, I was doing a little bit of research and just even just like basic statistics. So second quarter, they kicked one six. 
it's like that that's seven scoring opportunities and you've only converted one of them into a goal that's you can't be doing that and then they kick zero four for the second half entirely and it's like it, it's a killer and it has killed them it's cost them four points and as we've spoken about repeatedly throughout this season so far one loss in aflw is massive like it it almost feels like multiple losses because of the length of the season and all of that stuff that we've already spoken about um a bunch of times but again similarly how i was saying we need to give credit to the crows for what they did to the d's we've got to give credit to the pies they took their chances they fought back from a 16 point deficit and they were able to be clinical they were able to convert and they got the win and it's a really important win i don't know why brisbane was so inaccurate we were having a little chat before we hit record as to like speculating hypothesis why were brisbane so inaccurate i don't i don't have a good theory at the moment do you have any sort of ideas i have a theory hit us (laughs) i don't know why i just made my voice go deeper then but it's serious serious business i have a theory (laughs) (laughs) i'm raining down on you here's my theory i think something peculiar something maybe scandalous has gone on that week which led to them being off in general I mean obviously the men were in the grand final they did lose that grand final I don't know how much that affects the women emotionally um, being amongst that environment but you would think that you know the women are still in at the club they're training business as usual and the men wouldn't be around they would have gone on done their mad Monday so you 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 would assume that that sort of low morale from the grand final loss and the men's side of things hopefully wouldn't affect the women that much. But talking about weird excuses that coaches make, Jade Ellinger and Poppy Bolts were both omitted from the Brisbane Lions side and their coach, Craig Stasevich, said that it was to do with it was basically it was disciplinary and it was because they hadn't had enough sleep and I think that we can all (laughs) read between the lines and it might sound like maybe they've gone out maybe they've been drinking maybe something has happened there we I mean we can speculate we don't know but um Craig obviously was taking a bit of a jab at them because he did tell the media that um, and he's obviously trying to make a bit of an example of them. And again, that's probably, I think coaches probably have been a bit more protective of players. Um, if those sort of disciplinary things have come up, we as the media haven't really heard about them. They've either not really been happening or it hasn't sort of come out like it does in the men's competition. But we did see Craig really um, sort of laying down the law and saying, if you're not getting enough sleep, <laughs> if that's what it is, then if you're not sort of upholding those professional standards, then you're out. And so I wonder if maybe there was a bit of a sliding doors moment, a bit of a wake-up call in the Brisbane Lions camp this week, and maybe it's shaken them a little bit. It's an interesting theory. I don't mind it at all. It's very interesting. I think it's – what's the word I'm looking for here? 
it's interesting after we had the conversation about Nathan Burke's comments last week, um, the doggies head coach, again, speaking about professionalism standards, some players not being up to scratch. Um, and I suppose the consolation for those dogs players is that apparently it's not just them. If um, Craig is talking about Brisbane players and they're having to wear the consequences of their actions and stuff. Um but it is a really kind of – it's interesting too in two respects because obviously you do have this professionalism and standards conversation that I think needs to be had and will continue to be had as we move, hopefully, closer and closer to full-time professionalism for the AFLW. But then obviously the on-field um, – ramifications and how it kind of affects your teammates because I suppose there would be an element of like the team knowing that you know maybe you're not taking things as seriously as the rest of us or even just perceived to not be taking it as seriously seriously as the rest of us I can imagine that would maybe hurt the team dynamic you would feel a little bit frustrated or things like that so I don't think it's don't think it's a crazy theory I don't mind it at yeah, all it's and I think it, it does open up, and as you said, we've discussed it before with Nathan Burke. He's been very open that he's upset about the Western Bulldogs' performance this year. And interesting, though, that within that, again, we've already discussed it, but I will just quickly remind the listeners that it's been said that Ellie Blackburn and Kirsty Lamb are the real, um, for want of a better word, ringleaders. <laughs> in the leadership group, they really set the agenda there. They're in charge of the way that people behave and the the high expectations, it sounds like they are the ultimate professionals within the Western Bulldogs camp. So it is interesting that maybe it's not as obvious who that would be at the Brisbane Lions. We know they've lost Jesse Wardlaw, they've lost Greta Bodie, um, they've lost M Bates. So maybe it is just a bit of a changing of the guard, but um, it also brings upon the discussion, which Nathan Burke has said himself, of maybe being in a bit of a transition phase with the league. It's been in a transition phase since inception, really, because things have changed every year. But at the moment, something that Nathan Burke did say to media this week was, well, some of the players in this league, not necessarily Western Bulldogs, I dare say maybe Ellie Blackburn's the only one this applies to for them, but some of them are on a salary and other sponsorships that means they can dedicate all of their time to being a professional athlete. Well, then you look at the younger players and they're barely able to make ends meet if that's it. So they're at uni, they're, you know, supporting friends, family, living at home probably, um, working part-time, working full-time even to try and and put a roof over their heads and live. So how do you hold and what standards do you hold these people to and how do you hold them to these whatever standards that is if they're all so far apart from each other? And I know that the men get paid different wages too, but the minimum wage for a man means that it's livable and they can all dedicate themselves to it full time so outside of it there being pay disparity between amongst the women it's also how do you hold them to the same standards when there's different can you expect the same of a girl that's an ambulance doing nice night shift and then coming to training straight off the back of that 
as someone like a Daisy Pierce, who was the highest player in the league and, you know, could dedicate their lives to, to footy. It's such an interesting topic and we spoke about it a little bit last week because obviously we've got Imogen and Isadora and talking about like two just great examples of literally players in the league needing to juggle. These two are both contracted AFLW players and we see them at the office at ESPN. We know that they have lives outside of footy and outside of ESPN and they're working so hard to kind of, you know, do everything they can for footy, but also make sure that they can pay rent and they can do this and they can do that. So it's a really interesting thing. And I don't think, I think unfortunately it maybe won't be resolved for a while because I think there's always this, we're still in that stage where there is going to be a kind of huge discrepancy between the best paid players, the players who are able to dedicate themselves to footy full time and the ones that aren't, which is unfortunate Um, because obviously what we want and what is best for everyone involved, including like the health and growth of the competition is a whole bunch of full-time players dedicating their everything to footy because we know that that will just raise everything. The quality of the footy will be better. We know the games will be more entertaining. All of the players will be able to improve themselves and hit these standards that are expected of them. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting topic of conversation and I feel like it's actually a really good way to talk about something that Imogen and Isadora actually wrote for ESPN.com.au this week. Um, yes, tell us. We, so I'm really sad that neither of them are on here to speak about it, so I'm going to have to, um, you know, hype it up on their behalf. But um, we were really excited. We've been waiting for these two to play a game all season and neither of them have, have yet, but... um. Imogen came into the office and showed us a photo. Um, She and Isadora had played a game on the weekend, just a scratch match. And we've looked at this photo and Collingwood, uh, Imogen's in her Collingwood jumper and Isadora, who plays for the Giants, is in a Lions jumper. And we were like, sorry, what? And then Imogen started explaining that these scratch matches are basically a collection of players from a whole bunch of teams, enough to make two teams to play each other. That's how it happens so they wrote an article basically explaining what happens if you're not injured but you're not selected like how are you getting your footy when we don't have a reserves competition we're not aligned with the VFLW so there's no place for these players to actually play footy to maybe play themselves into contention um and the way they described it it sounds like unfortunately the the lesser of two evils or the the kind of best of a really bad situation because you're playing with girls you don't normally play with there's no real structure there's no um well that's the thing so if you're playing with girls from three other teams none of you are working on the same thing during the week none of you are trying to um, you know, none of you know what the others have been practicing. None of you know what needs to be done in order to maybe improve yourself. And they were saying that, you know, sometimes there's not even enough girls. There's not enough girls for a bench. Isadora was saying that there was one time there wasn't even footies. So they had to just kind of do imaginary handballs to like practice the technique, but there weren't actually footies there. 
No way. <laughs> and like I said, please go read the whole article on ESPN.com.au because it was we, everyone in the office was sitting there listening to them tell us about this and reading it online and we were just like, what do you mean? And when you hear that and then you talk about standards, isn't it like so illuminating that like we're expecting this of them but this is also what we're offering them? It's yeah, absolutely. That is, I oh, will definitely read that. I, I haven't yet. I'm sorry. But the other thing with um, hearing that, the other thing that you have to think about is when I, I mean, I did say it initially, it depends on what the definition of professional standards are, because there's no sort of dictionary definition of what that is. For the men, it is. It's, you're not going out during the season you're behaving yourself, you're fueling your body exactly as you should be, you're getting enough sleep, you're, you know, all of those sort of things, you're doing your media commitments, everything like that. For the women, there are rules like that, but it's it's blurred lines. And the reality is that they're contracted for, I think the new CBA will be the first year where they're contracted for the full year by the club. At the moment, they're contracted for the season. So, whatever it is if you play finals that's 14 weeks so outside of that you can do what you want and so it's very difficult to just switch straight straight into that and you have to you can't just put everything from the rest of your life completely to the side just for 14 weeks because if you did that and said I'm not coming to work for 14 weeks I'm not you know seeing my friends for 14 weeks I'm not there's no structure around your life it's not long enough to completely change the structure of your life. So I'm not talking about the common sense sort of things as an athlete, like, you know, going out drinking. And we don't know if that's what happened with the Lions players, but those sort of things, going out drinking, um, partying, not looking after your body, saying silly things in the media. That's not what I'm talking about with professional standards because you would think and hope that that sort of stuff is common sense. But it is more about the, well, okay, like if I'm not if I'm not getting a game and I am having to fly into state to play a scratch match where they might not even have footballs, um, how do you keep your morale high? Well, you know, maybe you do go out with your friends on the weekend because, you know, you're rocking up to try and play this scratch match into state and the equipment isn't there, the resources aren't there. So it's probably a conversation that's only really come to light the last couple of weeks and maybe we do need to be having it more. I think we definitely do and I think it's really important that we do hear these stories because otherwise you, you're almost under the assumption that, well, obviously they're, they're playing somewhere, they're doing something. Like it, you, there is an expectation or just an assumption that like, well, surely it can't be that amateur hour and then you hear something like that and you're like, oh, okay, they're trying to... They're trying to do football yeah. without footballs. That's interesting. Yeah, no, and and if that's not amateur hour, something. Uh, yeah, like I said, every time I think about it, I kind of just I'm stopped in my tracks, and I'm like, what? How? I. Anyway, we could get yeah, we could like go sell my soul. <laughs> we could go down a real <laughs> rabbit hole with that one. I think we need to bring it back to the footy. We need yeah, to. You talk- and I will take that one off. <laughs> We, we will, we will. Um, we need to highlight some of the other like just performances this week because there were some insane things. We had GWS picking up their first win, which was much needed. I can only imagine how much of a, a relief it was for GWS. So it was really good 
to see that. We had the absolute insanity that was Gold Coast's one-point win over Richmond. Tara Bahana, after the siren, just needs to kick something. And she does. And it was unbelievable scenes at Icon Park. Were there any performances that you wanted to highlight from round six that needed a mention? Because like I said, we've only really spoken about two games, but there was so much good stuff this weekend. So are there any that really kind of like stood out to you? Yeah, there was. And I think the Tara Bahana, just going back to that, is really interesting because I know in the post-match interviews with media, she said that she felt like the pressure was off because she knew she just, excuse me, she just had to score. She didn't have to get a goal. And I think that that says a lot about the pressure that these players really do feel. Um, I mean, we know that they do, but sort of, taking the pressure off and everyone sort of almost openly admitting that that score was probably out of her depth and then it just enabled her to just zone in and do what needed to be done. So I think, I think that that was a a really impressive um, performance. One thing I will mention was the showdown between the Prasparka sisters. That is now bragging rights for older sister Maddie for both times they've met. Last season, Georgie was out with injury. So um, she did not play when their teams met, but um, Maddie has bragging rights now on both sides. What's interesting is, I actually, I did not expect Essendon to win that game. I don't think no. many of us did. No. And so I thought Georgie had that one really locked away. And Georgie's having a fantastic season. Granted, so is Maddie. Um, and they're probably almost on par with each other, which might be a controversial uh, comment. But I think Georgie's obviously just been in the competition for less time, but I think they are equally as prolific as each other when they're on on their best game. So I actually was quite sad to see that Georgie didn't get the win um, against her sister on the weekend. I don't think it's that crazy to say that they're, if not on par, then the the gap is as close as, as it's ever been between these two. Like even just the sats. So Maddie in her 50th as well. So always a good one to a good game to get a win in. She had the 33 disposals disposals and the six clearances. Georgie had 26 and 10. So, like, that you can just imagine their games in the backyard when they were growing up were just proper, like, good tussles between the two of them. I can only imagine how much their folks must have just been like, please stop kicking footies in the house. There are too many footies <laughs> being kicked in the house. With and they've those got another two. sister. Oh, my God. Imagine the other sister. I, I don't know. Maybe a brother, but they've definitely got another sister. And just imagine her just sitting there. Like, you just picture her sitting between the two of them with the <laughs> ball just bouncing over her head. <laughs> I was even picturing just those two tackling each other and she's just sitting there like, you guys all right? You done? Like, <laughs> you happy doing that? Um Speaking of that game, something that I did want to talk about is I think in this season in particular, we are seeing some of those really advanced 
well-known, traditionally um, very good players that have played, you know, between six and eight seasons, people like Chloe Shear, we are seeing some of them, and we've seen it with Bree Davey as well, and actually Taylor Harris, is they just use the ball when they have it. They use it totally to their advantage, but they don't need to get a lot of it. And I know that we've seen that with Bree a lot because the minute she gets the ball, she boots a goal or she's getting the ball and she's marking it and having a defensive fireworks show. But Chloe Shear only had seven disposals in that game and got two goals. So if that doesn't sort of tell you how important she is to Geelong, I don't know what does, but it's, I think, something that's really important to look at is people's usage of the balls, sorry, of the ball rather than their amount of time that they either are on field or have with the ball. No, it's got cats jumping on doors. I think it's such a good point because, like, like, and as you say, you can have, a bunch of disposals but if they're all being kicked to the opposition or you're going backwards or whatever it is do they really mean as much so we love an efficient queen um chloe shear there were a couple of other like i say you know it's not about the quantity it's about the quality but if we're going to talk about quantity we need to talk about ashradell who racked up 37 disposals in north's win over the dockers um and it was really funny because obviously jazz garner also had a good game racked up 30 where am i stat 30 disposals for Ghana, 12 inside 50s, six tackles. Riddell had the 37 touches, seven clearances and five tackles. And it was one of those um, situations where we've been bigging up, bigging up Jazz Garner a lot for best and fairest. And this was one of those games where I was like, oh, this is why she doesn't get three votes every week because Ash Riddell is doing stuff like this. And then if it's not Riddell, you also had Talia Randall kicking a bag, kicking five goals in that win, which was huge for her so north north melbourne is plodding along nicely so it's good to see i think they're flying under the radar a bit i think i feel like at the season we talked about how excited we were that they'd really improved and then they're sort of just yeah plodding along flying under the radar but their depth is amazing when you talk Mm -hmm. about those three uh randall riddell and ghana they are none of them have had an off game Mm -hmm. either it's just it's consistent it's strong um and their midfield is pretty formidable so yes we love to watch it um there are two more things i want to mention before we wrap this up one of them is good one of them is bad um the good thing was zali goldsworthy's performance in the giants win like we spoke about a little bit earlier they managed to get their first win for the season which was Excellent. Like I said, I can only imagine what a relief it was. It gets them off the foot of the table as well. That uh, honour now belongs to the Western Bulldogs, which we'll probably have to talk about um, in the coming weeks, unfortunately, because if they go through this season winless, it's uh, not a good look. But Zali Goldsworthy, three goals, really influential in the Giants' win. And when you remember that she's so new, already picked up her rising star nom for the season. Yeah, it's like, already won a rising star. Like, she's well on her way. She's very, very talented. Really enjoy watching her. 
Um, the bad news. Last year. Yeah, like. So I was just going to say last year, she spent the whole season going back and forth, flying to get to training because she was still doing year 12 back at home, like flying a couple of times a week and games if she got named. So to think that this is the first full preseason she's had and the first time that she's, she's moved to Sydney, been able to actually give her full self to the game. It's pretty impressive that she's just come out of the gates like this when it was such a disrupted season last year. Mm-hmm. You could almost argue that this is sort of her first real her proper season, AFLW yeah. season and oh, she's killing it. She's so good. Um, that's the good news. Unfortunately, we have bad news as well. The ACL has once again decided to uh, rear its ugly head. We know there's been a couple through the seasons. I don't through the season rather. I don't think we've um, mentioned all of them, but the latest one has been Steph Kiochi from St Kilda, and it's just no. <sighs> like there's no good ACL, but when it's a player like Steph, who like I don't think it's unfair to say has been kind of a face of the league because she has literally been there since day dot was you know literally inaugural Collingwood captain was leading them out on that historic day back was it 2017 at Icon Park like she's been such an ever-present fixture in this league and to know that now her season's done and you can imagine there would be a little bit of next season and season as well just ruled out because of this injury it's just it sucks it's heartbreaking it's frustrating so what more what more hate can we spew about the anterior cruciate ligament? I don't think there's anything left. Well, and for someone like Steph, it's it's always hard when you're a, I don't want to say older, but older in terms of an athlete. Yeah. Steph's 34. She's a full-time teacher. Um, her birthday is December. So next the next season that rolls around, she'll be 35. Yeah. She... Obviously, this will disrupt her entire lifestyle because mm-hmm. to be a teacher, you're on your feet. You have to be there all day, every day. You can't just work from your couch. So this affects her entire life and she's in very good form. We know she's just yeah. gone from the Pies to St Kilda. But how does this – do you have to weigh up whether it's worth rehabbing to come back and play for 10 if you're lucky, 14 weeks of the year when it disrupts your whole life. It's, I can't even begin to imagine that conversation and I'm sure it's kind of on Steph's to-do list because it's um, still a relatively new injury. But, yeah, I can't imagine having to sort of sit down and contemplate, all right, am I ready to actually give up this part of my life? Because it's massive. It's incredible that we you know, that we have been able to watch a player like Steph for as long as we have because of the timing of AFLW, the season length, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's a it's a real tough one. But like I said, we're both wishing her and everyone who we have not mentioned so far this season that has done their damned ACL um, a smooth and speedy recovery because we, we are haters. We are ACL haters first and foremost. Um, but... I reckon that's us done for today. Quick one. Any games you're looking forward to this weekend in particular? Carlton Collingwood. Oh, yes. Purely for the historical rivalry. 
100%. I didn't. I didn't. I wanted to actually get through one week of the podcast without going on about Carlton, but <laughs> we almost got there. We almost got. There. We almost we were so close, and Imogen's not here, so we didn't get the go pies. No go pies. So I've just got to take what I can. Um, I think that's going to be interesting. Also, because Collingwood, really, as we mentioned earlier, we both agreed that we thought Brisbane should have won that game against Collingwood. Mm. So it will be really interesting to see how Collingwood stack up against Carlton, who aren't doing that well, um, but are showing glimmers of hope. It might be an interesting um, measuring stick for us to see yeah. how how that one plays out. What about you? Absolutely. I've got two that I think could be interesting. So Richmond-Essendon, we speak about it a lot where those teams that seem to be on the same level, seeing how they match up with each other, I think Essendon will be full of confidence after their win against Geelong. And on the flip side, Richmond will kind of be like, we're only lost by a point. So I reckon they're both teams are going to be kind of coming out full of energy and I'm really keen to see how they match up against each other. The other one is... If Brisbane don't fix the inaccuracy, there is nothing preventing Gold, for, Gold Coast from grabbing a win in the Q Clash this weekend. So I think Ooh, if Brisbane, I like are, it. If Brisbane aren't at their best, the Suns have shown that maybe they're not, you know, in premiership conversations, but they're in finals conversations. They could do something. So I reckon those two games are worth a watch in what will be a very big week of footy. So it should be good, but we'll talk to you all about it next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, there's lots of footy chat over on ESPN.com.au. There's so much to read. We can't wait to chat about round seven. Oh, my God. We're so close to the end. Um, We'll chat with you all next week with more AFLW action. Don't miss another episode of the ESPN Footy Pod by subscribing wherever you stream your podcasts.